This is the Menasha Public Library Podcast. Community. Conversation. Story. Welcome back to the Menasha Public Library Podcast. We pick up reading Memorial of Elisha Dickinson Smith today. Last week, we read As a Businessman and As a Christian Citizen. This week, we are reading As a Christian Worker and As a Philanthropist. As a Christian Worker We live in deeds, not years, in thoughts, not breaths, in feelings, not in figures on a dial. We should count time by heartthrobs. He most lives, who thinks most, feels the noblest, acts the best. Bailey's Festus. It was in the fall of 1857 the writer first met with Mr. Smith at Menasha. It was at the home of Reverend O. P. Clinton, Henry Decker, Esquire, a young lawyer. Philo Hine, a contractor and builder, with Mr. Smith, were the trustees of the Congregational Church that had been organized about six years, but had been six months without a pastor and greatly discouraged. I had preached in Robbie's Hall to a small company for a single Sabbath. The above-named three men had come to engage me to be the pastor of the church. Said Mr. Smith, We are not, either of us, members of the church, but it seems to us a shame for a town like this, with a population of 2,000, to be without a resident pastor, and we have come to induce you to accept the pastorate. Such frankness and sincerity of expression won my interest, and I yielded to their importunity. It was in the early spring of 1858, the year memorable for the revival interest all through the land, that I met Mr. Smith on Main Street, his face beaming with interest as though he had something good to tell me. He had just returned from Chicago. It was on a Thursday, and he said, I think I have had a change of heart. I dropped into the Baptist church in Chicago and heard Dr. Everts, and while there I determined to live a Christian life, and now I'm ready to help you all I can. Well, I said, you can't tell how glad I am. We are to have a meeting this evening at Mr. Northrup's. Come in and tell us all about it. Oh, said he, I'm no talker in meeting. You must not expect that of me. But, said I, you can talk in a railroad meeting, and I'm sure you can in a prayer meeting. I'll come, said he, but you must not expect me to talk. He came, and as soon as the opportunity offered, was ready to speak. He told us of his change of purpose and of the joy he was experiencing in his newfound life. That meeting was his inauguration as a Christian worker and the beginning of a series of meetings that resulted in doubling the membership of the church. We were then worshiping in Robbie's Hall. The question of building a new house of worship was soon raised, and Mr. Smith at once led off in the enterprise. It was at a time when there was no money in circulation. About $2,500 or $3,000 were needed, but it was not to be had. It was suggested that we had lumber and stone and lime and labor, in fact, everything but paint, glass, and nails. A grant of $300 from the Congregational Building Society was obtained, and with this we built the church, and in the building, Mr. Smith was untiring in his efforts, devising ways and means to keep the work moving till we were able to occupy it in the following January 
1859. It was a fixed rule of his to attend the meetings of the church just as promptly as he would a business engagement, and this he kept up to the day of his last sickness. Many a time have known him on the return from Chicago to go direct from the train to the prayer meeting, not getting his supper till after the close of the meeting. With him, Christian work was never put in a secondary place. Indeed, he regarded all work that ought to be done as Christian work, some kinds having prior claims upon him, and as such he regarded the claims of his church. He was emphatically his pastor's supporter. He was never too busy to give time for consultation and advice. More than once has he put money into the pastor's hand and said to him, Use that for your library or for needed rest and recreation. At a time of special services, he would sometimes close his factory for a few hours to give his men the opportunity to attend. Or for a stormy Sabbath morning in the winter, he would send his teams through the town to gather such as desired to attend church, but unable to travel through the snow. Another service he rendered, which was entirely voluntary on his part and of great value. It was his custom to go at least a half hour before the church service on Sabbath morning and see that everything was in readiness to receive the congregation. And then as the people came in, he would greet them with a smile, a shake of the hand, and a kind word of welcome. This was done not in a formal, official way, but as friend would meet friend. Such greetings helped to build and hold the congregation, and so in many little ways he was planning how he could help his pastor in his work. After about ten years, it was found that the church was unfavorably located to reach the people. It was proposed to sell it to the Catholics, move to a more eligible location, and build larger to meet the growing needs of the city. In this, Mr. Smith took a leading part and contributed generously of his means. Thus it was that in 1869 the present house of worship was erected, though since much improved. But his work was not confined to his own town. His sympathetic interest in Christian work reached outside. He was often applied to for aid in building churches and parsonages. A list of such buildings to which he has contributed would be a long one. His presence was a welcome one in our church conventions. He was for several years a director and member of the executive committee of the Wisconsin Home Missionary Society, to whose funds he contributed liberally. Indeed, during the last years of his life, more largely than any one church in the state. He was also a warm friend of the American Board, of which for several years he was a corporate member and served on important committees. He used to say that it was his mother, who had her missionary bag hanging in her bedroom, into which she weekly put her offerings, and from which she made her drafts from time to time for missionary work that taught him how to give. It was not only in associated, but in individual personal work that he excelled. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. His heart was full of loving kindness, and it broke forth as the rivulet from the mountain spring. The work of Christ for humanity was the matchless work to him, and he loved to talk about it and try to make his friends see it and come into harmony with it. And so, not unfrequently, after doing business with a man, he would say, Now, if you have a little time, I would like to talk to you about another kind of business in which I am interested, and I want you to take an interest in it. And then, naturally and easily, he would open up to his business friend the great enterprise of Christian service, its blessedness, and the rich returns that come therefrom. And this he would do with all the enthusiasm of his great heart. In some such way, not a few have been helped into the better life or have had the real life made far more attractive. 
He believed in scattering the good seed in every available way. He supplied himself with leaflets related to practical Christian living, which he distributed. Often, he would have placed in the bottom of each pail or tub that went from his factory a single leaflet that would catch the eye and possibly be read by the purchaser in some distant town, the reading of which would at least set the reader to thinking of the imperishable riches. Mr. Smith took a deep interest in the religious training of youth. In the early part of his Christian life, he superintended a mission school in the Ladd district about three miles on the west of Lake Butamore. After attending the morning service and the home of S.S., he would hitch up his horse and carriage, taking two or more teachers with him, drive over to his school in all weathers. This he did for some ten years. The school was not large, but out of it came many useful men and women. A former member of the school, now the wife of a clergyman, in her reminiscence of the school, writes as follows. My brother and I attended the school all the time Mr. Smith was superintendent, which was quite a number of years. We thought him one of the kindest men we ever knew. One time we talked together of what we would do if father and mother should be taken away. While we were small, we knew of no one who would take care of us, but we decided that if such a thing should happen, we would go to Mr. Smith. We felt sure he would see that we were cared for until we were old enough to care for ourselves. He was intensely in earnest about the salvation of the members of the school. He often took one and another aside for a little quiet talk and urged them to give themselves to the service of Jesus. I remember so well his talk with me that I am sure that he was the means in the Lord's hands of my conversion when I was only a little girl. He was a very busy man, but if he had met anyone who was or had been a member of that Sunday school, he would find time to talk and inquire about others who attended the school. His interest followed the members of that school wherever they went, and he had the joy of knowing that his work was not in vain. Years after, he sent me this trip abroad, which I prize most highly. In the home school, he was either a superintendent or teacher up to the time of his death. It was his interest in the Sunday school work that led to his acquaintance with D.L. Moody on the occasion of his visit to Nina to hold a Sunday school convention about the year 1859. This ripened into a lifelong friendship and led to his contributing several hundred dollars in the aid of Mr. Moody's educational enterprises. He was a warm friend of Christian education. His ear was ever open to appeals coming from our Christian academies and colleges, Ripon, Milwaukee Downer and Beloit Colleges, North Wisconsin, and Endeavor Academies were generously aided. Besides thousands of dollars that went into the work of 11 other educational institutes, in this and other lands. In the building of churches and parsonages, he took a lively interest. We find in the list of his benefactions at least 34 houses of worship, mostly in this state, for the building of which he directly contributed, besides several parsonages. Among the number, we find several of other denominations than his own, Catholic as well as Protestant, showing the breadth of his Christian sympathies. Ever after his conversion in 1858, his motto seemed to be, I must be about my father's business. And so, whether at home or traveling in other lands, his eye was quick to discern an open door for Christian work, and he failed not to enter it. As a Christian Philanthropist To the blind, the deaf, the lame, 
to the ignorant and vile. Stranger, captive, slave, he came with a welcome and a smile. Help to all he did dispense, gold, instruction, raiment, food, like the gifts of providence, to the evil and the good. Montgomery. There is a small ledger, five inches by eight inches, containing about 250 pages, that was kept under lock and key, whose contents were known only to its owner during his lifetime. The book contains an itemized account of Mr. Smith's gifts, as he made them during a period reaching from May 17, 1858, to June 29, 1899, but eight days before his death, with the exception of from 1871 to 1877, a period in which he was struggling to recover from bankruptcy. It is an exceedingly interesting book, rich in its revealment of the character of a true philanthropist. It was evidently kept not for the purpose of making an exhibit of his benevolent deeds, for there was no trait of character that he is so despised as that of an ostentatious display of charity. It was to him a record by which he was able to graduate and systematize his charities, somewhat in accordance with his income. In looking over the record, there appears certain interesting facts showing that there were certain well-defined principles underlying his charities that he carefully observed. In general, it may be said that he considered himself as a steward responsible to the great proprietor of all things for the use he made of the wealth that came into his hands. With him, it was not a question of the tenth of his income to be given to the Lord, but rather where and how, as a wise steward, to disperse from time to time the material good in his control, so as to meet with the approval of his divine master. It would seem, from the relative amount of his gifts, for various objects that he regarded those nearest of kin to him as having the first claims upon his charities, and, accordingly, he was mindful of the needs of his near friends, as he was in duty bound to be. Next, he was thoughtful of and made generous provisions for the support of the gospel at home and abroad. The building of churches interested him. Besides his regular contributions through the channels of his own church, he invested nearly $5,000 in the building of between 30 and 40 houses of worship belonging to different denominations, mostly in this state. First of all, he was generous in his own city in this direction, and then his benevolence reached out to other towns and cities. The work of missions appealed largely to him. He says it was his mother's missionary bag, which she always kept in her private room, into which something went each week, and from which she drew such sums as she deemed wise for various charitable objects that taught him how to give. He began soon after his conversion to contribute to the American board. He had learned about it in his early home life. Later, he contributed liberally for missionary work in the state and outside. We find he has recorded 44 offerings ranging from $5 to $1,000 each for the American board, and 64 offerings ranging from $5 to $1,000 for home missions. Besides, he sent several hundred dollars to a Baptist missionary in Mexico, whose acquaintance he made on one of his trips to that country and thus became interested in his work. The American Missionary Association and Sunday School and Publishing Society, the YMCA and other similar objects, were sharers in his gifts. Appeals that came to him for the building of Christian schools he entertained. Ripon, Beloit, Milwaukee Downer, Lawrence, and our state university 
besides Endeavor and North Wisconsin Academies, received the larger share of $22,000 he gave while living, besides remembering them generously by will. Furthermore, he had a hand in building Grinnell and Wilton in Iowa, Fargo in North Dakota, Fisk at Nashville, Tuskegee in Alabama, the Moody Schools at Chicago and Northfield, the Theological Seminary at Chicago, Whitman College in Oregon, Robert in Constantinople and Anatolia, and Harput in faraway Turkey. In recognition of his interest in Ripon College, of which he was a valued trustee, of the gifts he made while living, and the legacy left it at his death. The building known as Middle College had been remodeled within and without, fitting up with special reference to the needs of young men in the best manner with reference to health, comfort, and conveniences of a first-class home. It was opened for the reception of students about the beginning of the year 1903 and named Elisha D. Smith Hall. It will thus stand as a monument to the memory of a man whose life will prove a constant inspiration to the young men who shall gather within its walls. He did not forget Beloit College in his last will, leaving annuity of $500 to be increased after 10 years to $1,000 to be used in behalf of worthy students that may be in need of help to secure an education. By means of this bequest and the generosity of his family with other funds, it is proposed to erect a fine gymnasium of brick, with tile roofing to be called the Elisha D. Smith Gymnasium. It will be 120 feet in length and of proportionate width, equipped for the best physical training of students. Writes President Eaton, In view of Mr. Smith's interest in the young men and their fullest preparation for effective service in life, as well as his interest in the work of Beloit, this noble building will be a particularly fitting memorial. Mr. Smith's interest in a college for young women found expression in his services on the Board of Trustees of Downer College at Fox Lake and of the Milwaukee Downer after the Union at Milwaukee. In a time of great need, he made valuable additions to the library. When the question of removal from Fox Lake was being discussed, he came forward with a great generous offer to furnish a site of 25 acres on the island at Menasha and secure the raising of $50,000 additional but Milwaukee outbid, and so the Milwaukee Downer came into being. He did not withdraw his aid, leaving a handsome legacy for the benefit of worthy young women seeking an education. It is the purpose of the college in some worthy way to perpetuate the memory of such a noble benefactor. But his spirit of philanthropy touched humanity on many sides. He was traveling in Germany one day and noted how hard the women of that country toiled in the fields. His thoughts turned homeward to the tired mothers of his own city. It was summertime, and it occurred to him it would give these mothers great pleasure to take an excursion on Lake Winnebago. He at once dispatched a letter to his private secretary to charter a steamer and provide everything needed for an all-day outing on the lake, which was done at his expense, and a most delightful occasion it proved to be. The poor and unfortunate were not forgotten. It is an interest to note that the great variety of destitution, want, and suffering that he alleviated. The number of applications for his charity became so great that he was obliged to employ a person to investigate the cases that his charity might be judiciously bestowed. From 1884, this agent of his dispersed over $6,500, or on average of over $400 a year. 
Besides this, he gave to personal applications and to such as he felt were worthy about $7,500, reaching some 700 cases of need without regard to race or religion, mostly in his own town. As illustrative of the needs that were met or alleviated by his generous hand, we give a few examples from the record he kept. A family in trouble, $5. A poor Frenchman who lost his leg, $6. Poor man who had lost an arm, $2. WCTU, $10. Worthy brave women, $2. Caring for and burying a sick stranger, $15. German Catholic Church, $50. Poor Dane lost his sight and all, $25. Family in trouble, $5. Wood to a sick man, $1.50. Famine sufferers, $100. Thanksgiving and Christmas were times when he distributed to a large number of the poor of his city, thus giving an occasion for Thanksgiving and joy in many an impoverished home. No wonder that at the hour of his burial, the streets of the city were crowded with tearful friends, anxious to give some little testimony of the love they bore him. At one time when traveling in Mexico, Mr. Smith fell in with another traveler, a physician from his native town, Brattleboro, Vermont. It was in 1892 at a meeting of the American Public Health Association. In the course of their conversation, Mr. Smith expressed his interest in his native town seeing he had long cherished a desire to do something for it. The suggestion was made that a home for the aged and disabled had been talked of, but no funds had been provided, though an act of incorporation had been procured. He said he would like to see a copy of that act. On the doctor's return to his city, a copy was sent, and in about a week there was a check for $5,000 for the starting of such a home. Soon, $3,000 more were added and the home was opened and is now in successful operation. Dr. Henry D. Holton, secretary of the home, in writing of the matter after speaking of the founding of this institution, says, So far, it has been a great success and is accomplishing very much in the way of caring for these few elderly people and making their last days happy days. To say nothing of what he did for his city, narrated elsewhere, we find that his gifts in aid of various Christian enterprises and the aid of the poor and unfortunate, extending over a period of 35 years, amounted to near $150,000. It was a joy to Mr. Smith to thus aid in helping to alleviate the woes of humanity and to extend the kingdom of righteousness by means of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Said a gentleman who had solicited a donation for some charitable object, Instead of his conferring a favor upon me by giving, he seemed to feel that I was conferring a favor upon him for giving him an opportunity to give. A very unusual thing in my experience of soliciting funds for benevolent enterprises. Mr. Smith's last will and testament is a remarkable document in which one may see, as in a mirror, the heart of a true Christian philanthropist. He had been giving sums of money annually in support of his home church, of the poor of the city, and of some five church benevolent associations. It is evident from his will that he desired, if possible, to have gifts continued, in case his estate would allow of the same, for an indefinite period of time. His gifts for education have already been referred to, an annuity of $1,000 to the poor of Menasha, 
and $300 for the care of the sick and the burial of the poor to be distributed under the direction of the Congregational Church is by no means the least interesting features of this remarkable will. It was a common remark of his that every man should be the executor of his own estate. It is clear to anyone in the study of this remarkable man that it was his purpose to work out practically this sentiment. Surely he has left us a remarkable life record that we will do well to read again and again. A genuine philanthropist is a splendid specimen of manhood. To feel for the woes of others and to go about it in utter self-forgetfulness, relieving those woes is to walk in the footsteps of the greatest philanthropist, the grandest man of all ages.